On today's episode, we're going to dive into what's going on in the Chicago apartment market with one of the city's top brokers. Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth. But why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start, and most of the education out there is just complete trash, and you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate. That's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today, I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast, you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor. And we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. Welcome to the Brenneman Blueprint. With me today is Kyle Stengel, Senior Managing Director at Marcus & Millichap. Welcome. Pleasure to be here, thanks. Awesome, well yeah, so Kyle's been on the show before. Uh, kind of one of the earlier episodes, I think episode 14, if anyone wants to like check out his uh, like career story, if you will, I think we're, we're skipping over all that today and just want to talk about the market. But really, uh, some things in that story I didn't know about where I think it was before we had met, but I mean, a lot of really good, um, really good stuff from that episode. That was one of my favorite ones. I mean, hearing about how, I mean, you were like literally down to your last few dollars and then, um, we're trying to scrape money together and then had a deal hit to keep going. Um, and then to think now, like you routinely sell a hundred million plus a year. So it's kind of was crazy to hear that story uh, for the first time on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks. It's, um, it's a, you know, it's a long road, been in it about 18 years. Yeah. Negative dollars at one point and, you know, I was able to turn around and stick with it. Yeah. So that's, I think that's, uh, maybe we circle back to that at the end after we talk about the market, but, um, we kind of covered that. So if anyone wants to check that out, Let's go find the previous one. I think that's episode 14. But uh, for people who don't know then, like what part of the city do you cover? What kind of deals start there? Yeah, perfect. So I'm at Marcus and Millichap downtown Chicago office and run the urban team. So I've mostly focused on the city. I do north side and northwest side, basically the loop up uh, north of the city and then a little bit on the west. Uh, we have another team within our team that does all south side. Um, so focusing south of the loop. Uh, typically private clients, not really in the institutional level, but private clients, you know, started smaller uh, when I was starting out in the business and that's grown over time, you know, grown with clients, grown with the market. Um, so we do that. And then I've got a, another counterpart that covers the suburban markets that's actually in our Oakbrook office. So we find a lot of synergies. If I have a suburban opportunity or Northwest Indiana opportunity, um, then we can work together and, and vice versa. Nice. Great. Yeah. And like what sort of like dollar sizes would you say like for the city stuff you work on? Sure. I'd cover? say my typical deals are three to 15 million would probably be a mid range at seven, eight, nine, ten million dollar. And obviously I've done smaller and I've done larger as well, but I would say that's probably the typical size. Okay. Nice. And so then like the last time you were on, I think it was like early mid, probably early 2022. So then at that point, the market, you know, really, I don't think not a lot had changed in um, with due to interest rates or anything yet. And really most of that episode was about your career and brokerage too. So I think kind of maybe let's, if you want to let us know, like what sort of happened in the last year in the Chicago market, let's just go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So 2022 started off very strong. We still had attractive interest rates, you know, cap rates were compressed. Um, and then obviously with the Fed coming to fight inflation, you know, started raising rates. 
And we saw that hit about halfway through the year. Uh, initially, it was a, a pretty good shock to the system. Uh, velocity you know, slowed down quite a bit. And we saw that throughout a lot of the second half of 22. Um, what was interesting is that as we saw treasuries move up and down, I could see interest moving with it. So higher interest. Higher, yeah. yeah. So, you know, the higher the rates, the less, you know, they worked inverse, obviously, because of, you know, rates moving on, on buyers. So um, we saw a slowdown in the second half of 22. And then as we came into 23, there was a renewed energy. And coincidentally, we saw rates pull back at that time as well. So I'm not sure if it was 100% due to that or it was partially uh, just a renewed interest in, in 23 and looking to deploy capital or been sitting on the sidelines for six months and, and was interested in you know, investors getting back in the market. Have you seen interest wane in the last month then? I feel like it's slowed down again. Yeah, because then I think that's a lot of that has to do with interest rates then mm -hmm. where, I mean, there were deals where if you were going to buy, you know, uh, you want to have your, let's say your buy signal was my debt will be cheaper than my cap rate or right. be a lower interest rate. You know, you had rates like on a Fannie product dipping in, dipping a low route rate around five for Fannie conventional. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Freddie SBL in Chicago was still a little higher than that, but you had like a lot of lenders around five. So then buying like a high five cap in Chicago was starting to like be like to make a lot of sense. But then, you know, treasuries went up right like real fast, like a half a percent again. Right. And then that, you know, sounds like that had an impact. It did. And I don't think it's lack of interest. I think buyers want to buy. I think just penciling the deals has been more challenging. So if an owner has an asset where they're seeing rising rents, they're seeing uh, increased demand, renter demand, and it's operating well and their debt's not coming due. So they still have the cheap debt that was put on in the past. There's less motivation to sell an asset. And the buyers, you know, they're trying to make the numbers work. Uh, with the new rates and as rates come down we're able to bridge that gap a little easier yeah so I, I still think a lot of a lot of investors want to buy they're just having trouble you know finding to get the pricing to work for both sides and then what did most of the deals look like last year then i mean what was like a typical deal you um say? you know i think it it depends on who the buyer was in the market at the time but um you know last year in the first half Anybody that had a typical motivation obviously would transact, you know, the death, divorce, partnership breakups, like motivation, um, retirement, things like that. Uh, there were a good amount of trade buyers that were still in the market. You know, they'd sold something else at a really aggressive cap rate and, you know, would look to trade the money to defer capital gains. Um, there's, I would say that the second half when we see, saw rising interest rates, aside from the trade buyers, if I took that apart, it's investors that want to own long-term and they had a long-term view, not just buy something, fix it, and sell it. Uh, they wanted to add to their portfolio and grow and, and keep it for a long period of time. Yeah, that makes sense where, you know, I think it's hard, really hard to predict, you know, what the next two or three years will be like. But, yeah, the next 10, like, you know, you're going to, the building will be mm -hmm. worth more, the rents will be higher. Like, that's obvious. Right. And especially if that's your, you know, Chicago, a lot of these big cities, they have these families that have just been buying forever, where, I mean, some of these people own, like, 100 or 200 buildings, and they're just you know, they're not trying to hit like an IRR or they don't even have investors anymore. They're just, you know, building their portfolio and really able to buy at any time for the right deal. Right. And so those people were still active. They were. And when a certain asset comes available, it doesn't come available for 20 or 30 years. It's kind of now or never. And they yeah. wanted to act on it. So. What kind of financing were they using then? Typically bank, bank relationship lending. Okay, nice. Kind of the most um, 
you know, was one I was seeing the most often. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like the agencies, everything was, it felt expensive till this spring mm-hmm. other than just like going with your local bank. The other thing is there's flexibility on prepaying as well. So when you have agency type lenders, typically there's yield maintenance and you can do a step down. But yeah. If, if rates are rising and investors are hoping at some point they're going to come down in the near future, they want flexibility for yeah. an earlier prepay. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the banks are usually stepped on prepays. Yep. So nice. Yeah, 2022, I mean, it was an interesting year, like for me, because I, you know, on the buildings we own here, because, um, you know, you'd see, uh, you know, interest rates are going up. So you realize like your value is falling like this on a pure cap rate basis. But it was the best rent growth year we ever had. Yeah, where we had the most rent growth, I think, ever, um, you know, 2022, where we were, um, I think the first deal we bought in Chicago, which you sold us, the 2147, yep. 2151 West Evergreen, you know, we had been right around the 32 to $3,300 mark on that building for, I mean, since like 2015, we just kind of went in this range between like 3200 and I guess maybe 3400 at on the high end um, well, for what felt like forever. And then last year there was like no limit almost like we rented all of the new ones for 3650 that came to market wow. where we just every time, um, or I guess initially we, they we were renting them for less cause we're like, let's try 3,400. Then we got it immediately and then kept stepping up. Uh, and then at a real similar building we have in Wicker Park Two, 1449 Wicker Park, we rented out a first floor unit there, same type three bed, two bath for $3,800. Wow. So there was like no, um, yeah, it was, you could almost charge anything like last May. And so I'm kind of curious what happens this year, um, you know, with rents. Because originally I was thinking probably like, because we ended the year kind of a little weaker rent-wise. Mm-hmm. So like we were getting that in May, but by August we were already starting to ask less and getting less. And then we got stuck with one unit that we didn't rent till October. And then that we rented for 3000 for the same unit type. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's a lot of seasonality, but then... Um, you know, I thought maybe like the rent this year would be 3,400, 3,450, 3,500 on those. Um, but just kind of talking to some people who've already rented some stuff early in the season here and they're like, it's stronger than ever. It's strong again. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing as well. Yeah. So I was talking to another broker who had a client who's got like 70 units to head like 70 vacancies. Um, you probably talked to the same, right. you talked to the same guy, but he was had like 70 apartments to rent two weekends ago and he had, he rented 45 of them in a weekend at like all time high prices. It's incredible. Yeah. There's especially new construction. Is it newer? I think that's, that's like a guy who owns a lot of older buildings, yeah. courtyard kind of things. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure there too. Like, so you've seen newer new construction new- still in, in a locations or B plus locations has significant demand. That's interesting. I would have thought there was like a big, uh, there's like a huge amount of supply knocking that down. No, it's been, it's okay. been really good. Yeah. I mean, I think that the rising interest, well, you know, it takes a little bit of time to get through this, but rising interest rates, affordable requirements, and cost of construction has actually slowed down new construction. Yeah, that's interesting. Even like through today, that's I, interesting. In my opinion, yeah. I mean, we see a lot in the West Loop, not far yeah. from here, that's going up. But if you look in the neighborhoods, you know, there's not a whole lot of new buildings that are going up relative that there was. And then if you wanted to go buy something, it's obviously become more expensive to do that. So we've seen renter demand continue to increase, less supply, and therefore higher rents. That's interesting. Have you seen less? Uh, and I actually would have thought I was surprised that that's happening today. I mean, yeah, I live and work in the West Loop, and mm-hmm. it seems like, and this is where the most units are being built. So it seems like there's plenty. 
um, plenty under construction. And I actually was thinking really more the the slowdown in deliveries would be in 2025. Mm -hmm. You know, like who's starting a project now? You know, your construction loans could be seven, eight percent if you got to go floating rate, and then uh, construction costs at an all time high. Mm -hmm. Uh, capital equity capital is more scarce. It's like so. I could see where there's going to be not a lot of deliveries in 2025. So that will be a good right. What's it going to look like yeah. in the next two three years? So that and even in the areas where they build a lot, you know, this like in the south, I can see that happening. Mm -hmm. Where in two years there's not going to be a lot coming online. Right. But then in Chicago, that's already started. Mm -hmm. So nice, yeah. Because then I, that's where it was an interesting year last year, where I feel like okay, on a cap rate basis, your deal lost value. Um, you know, if you went, um, or I guess how much do you think cap rates have moved, let's say in the, since the start of this, uh, rate hikes, you know, I, just a general quote, it's probably 50 to 75 basis points. So, you know, I think in the low, we were selling the high fours for the neighborhood type properties that are, that were stable when we were at absolute low on rates and everything. Um, I think that we're probably, and I know this is a wide range, but five and a half to six and a half. And it just depends on the asset any potential future upside location things like that but you know really well located assets probably in the mid five range okay nice yeah so then that's you know what like 10 to 15 percent probably on a percentage basis would you say or trying yeah, to do that math? cap rate math yeah. yeah yeah so say it was you know four and three quarters or five and now you're at you know 10 percent would be five and a half yeah but what's interesting is your rents went up by that much you know it so did. you on a uh, so like Chicago did well in terms of on this sort of cycle here, mm -hmm. I think in terms of the value changes we did. So he made up some of that shortfall and, you know, I look at expenses and expense ratios and things like that too. And the expense ratios really haven't changed. And I know inflation's driven up costs, um, but rents have grown too. Okay, so nice. the dollar amounts more, but the percentage is very similar. And okay. then the discrepancy between percentages tends to be around real estate taxes. So I actually take the real estate tax portion out and say, what percent of your gross is that? And then I can look at the remaining expenses within an, with an asset that's operating. Yeah. What expense ratios are you using then? And, and these don't include taxes? Yeah. So, well, typically taxes, we're seeing about 12 and it could be 20%. So, you know, if you're in the 20%, you're, you're at a high 30% expense ratio. So you're 18%-ish, give or take. Um, so, uh, and then if an, an asset's operating at 12%, then obviously the expense ratio is going to be quite a bit lower. Yeah. How much have the taxes changed then? How, how you've been looking at them in, I guess, in the last couple of years? Yeah, I would say that, I mean, historically we're running that eight to 12%. And then now it's, it's gone up, you know, to 12 to 20%, depending on the asset. The nice thing that we've seen in Chicago is in the areas that I'm primarily focusing is the reassessment. And we've seen the results of those and, and what the actual tax bill is going to be. So many times I was fighting uh, or you know, negotiating with a buyer about what the taxes are going to be. And that's going to obviously drive, you know, drive your value on an asset. And when we have some clarity to that, it's helped. Yeah. So, and, but you, this, those percentages you're saying, those, the 8 to 12%, that's of the effective gross income. And then that's, that's what you used previously. Now it's more like 12 to 20, depending. Depending on the asset. Yep. 15 to 18 is a very common number that I see often in here. Yeah. So if we can be within those, that range now, the reassessment happened and there's going to happen again another, you know, every three years, the yeah. three different portions get reassessed. So uh, we have some clarity for that period of time and we can model some rent growth, you know, throughout that to make up any future increases that are coming. Yeah. And then what, uh, I guess, uh, do you hear like owners, buyers, 
people talking about how like the board of review has changed. Absolutely. Who's on the board of review and the results that are coming out of it. Yeah, for sure. What have, what have you heard? Like there was, the there used like? to be greater relief given in that. And now there's less relief being given to owners. So, you know, they maybe are going to get less of a reduction than they'd historically gotten. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think what, um, my understanding just in this last election cycle. So what last fall, I guess, where <clears throat> the board of review has like three commissioners mm-hmm. and then two of the three were more, let's say favorable for getting reductions. Um, right. But then I think both of them got replaced mm-hmm. uh, with one that is would be less favorable and then one where it's like TBD, if they'll be good or mm-hmm. not for owners. So then you have, um, you know, you might be getting less relief in the future. So that's um, definitely a, a worry of mine, mm-hmm. like on stuff where kind of in years past, even if you didn't get a reduction that you wanted like one year, you'd appeal again, you might end up with a different commissioner or some different set of facts and, and get a reduction, even if you're told no the year before, but now it's, it's like the commissioner's desk you want it to fall on. It's almost like a one out of three chance now. Um, so yeah, that's been, uh, so I'm interested to see how that plays out with the new commissioners for sure. Yeah. I mean, so. it's, a, it's a large part of valuing the asset. So, you know, yeah, be- no, I know that. So they've, uh, the, the Fritz Kegi's injected like a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. into where, how like buyers can think about it because you have deals where the taxes are under assessed and in most places you just be like okay that's what the taxes are or they're going to change to my purchase price or they're gonna like you'd have some certainty on how they're going to move where now this is really unpredictable because they're they don't chase the sale in illinois they try to have everything assessed uniformly Mm -hmm. but then the assessor is doing one thing the board review is doing something else uh, you know so it's been a it's unclear the, until everything gets through into the end because then you don't know what your tax rates are going to be or the equalizer, yeah. you know, until everything's done with board of review. So there's yeah. a, a long period of uncertainty. Yeah, that's right. And then the rates, I mean, they usually, it's like every year they fall, mm-hmm. but then, yeah, you don't know how much until you're done. Right. So, well, nice. Well, yeah, then what do you think? Um, uh, like, so, okay, we had a really good year operationally last year and that sort of like, to me, like helped values where... I think on a lot of my stuff, as long as you were able to raise those rents or now we could show, even if we didn't raise the rents, like, Hey, here's a pro forma where we did this on, you know, a third of the units, just follow it through. Um, I guess, how do you think 2023 is going to look then? I mean, I think that from what I've heard, the indications are that we're going to see nice rental demand again. I mean, job market's still very strong. People are not buying as many houses as they were before. So all those indicators are telling us that it should be strong in the top line. Obviously, operating expenses are getting higher, are growing. We're seeing and you're hearing indications that rates are going to continue to go, are going to continue to increase. So, you know, it kind of depends on where you are in the cycle. If you're operating and you have debt in place and it's stable, uh, we should be we should be fine and probably improve. Um, if you have debt that's coming due and you have to refinance, then there potentially could be some problems there. Or, you know, you're going to decrease cash flow depending on what your leverage point is. Um, but and I think on the transaction market, it could be another slower year. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that you stop, you know, trying to transact, you know, assets and sell them and uh, prospecting and working with owners because there will be transactions that happen. It's just going to be bridging that buyer seller gap that we've kind of been battling the last six to eight months. Yeah. Yeah, too. And I mean, this is a great time to work on your business, too. And I mean, if you're a broker like you still could and, and even for owners, you still do all the same activities you mm-hmm. would in a in a hotter market you just actually you're spending less time 
closing deals so you can work on other stuff where if you're a broker, you can build out your database and make new relationships. And for, like for us, we're building out just the rest of our company mm-hmm. essentially. Right. Um, so yeah, cause then, I mean, that's the kind of thing you're telling the newer brokers, I'd assume like just right. keep working it. And this is the best time to form relationships. I mean, owners, investors, everybody's interested in learning. Yeah. Like what's not, going I'm, on, what's going to happen. Yeah. Where are we, where are we going? Where are the opportunities? Um, you know, in times of uncertainty, people, there are opportunities and, you know, when things are going great, you know, a broker's role is probably less important. You know, when things are tougher, it's more important to have a qualified broker who, you know, has opinions and sees, you know, what's happening and looks for opportunities. Yeah. Has so, knowledge and knows and can make a market or yeah, if the market's super hot, like this, anybody, right, everything's kind of going to sell between the two yeah. groups. So I mean, I formed some of my best relationships in down markets. Yeah. And oh, go ahead. No. And I said, you know, anytime that there's uncertainty and the market gets turned upside down a little bit, um, you know, we've, we've been able to build deep relationships and transact and get things across the finish line and, and wait for a better day. And that's the hard thing when you're in the middle of a tough time, it seems like it never is going to end. And it always does. Yeah. And so the, where do you think the opportunities are then today? Yeah. In the market. I mean, I think that if you could, as an, as a, selling to a buyer, I would say that if you're able to make the numbers work in a higher interest rate environment, um, even if your returns compressed a little bit uh, over time, as you know, rates do move around, there could be a refinance opportunity that could significantly increase your cash flow down the road. So if you're at, you know, I know rates are all over the place, but in the mid sixes or low sixes today, and you can adjust your cap rate accordingly and get into an asset that you believe in long-term in two years, you know, maybe refinance it and, you know, increase your cash flow naturally just that way and on top of rent growth. Yeah. And what's nice right now in Chicago is like, you're still seeing the rent growth. Right. Um, you know, lawyer, like I, you know, we bought those five deals in Phoenix, but then, mm-hmm. and then the growth slows. So the whole play on that is you're, you're adjust the rent to where the market is. And then you're going to get a lot of growth after that. You know, you it makes sense to buy in those places like a Phoenix when the growth is happening. Cause otherwise if you just buy at a, a lower cap rate and you don't get any growth right away, you're better off just waiting. Right. Let the let the market start growing again, buy at the bottom, so to speak. But here, like if things are still growing, like it still makes sense to to buy where you can um you don't need to wait. You're just your debt's gonna be expensive for a couple of years and then yeah, you refi. But you're still improving mm-hmm. your NOI, improving your rents. Nice thing is we had higher cap rates the whole time mm-hmm. too. So um, you know, we had a little bit more to absorb when the rates moved. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Where I think, uh, yeah, if you were buying a four cap in Phoenix or Texas or something in rates are not in the threes anymore, that makes less sense faster than right buying a five or six cap in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think too, um, you know, there wasn't as much like, uh, you know, like Chicago st- always stayed kind of like steady, you know, it wasn't like too crazy where people were paying prices that made zero sense, uh, you mm-hmm. know, banking on like so much future, uh, in the deal, like people were stayed grounded here. Right. Like, I think the, you know, we're not used to as much growth as they, like some of the other places we're experiencing and people just more conservative here with how they set up their deals. You know, like most everyone we would compete with on these Sunbelt deals are all, we're doing floating rate debt, high leverage. Uh, and so you can see how those would go, uh, would, turn and they could like lose a property pretty fast. You do like a 85% LTV 
floating rate loan, mm -hmm. like that can turn fast on you. Whereas like in Chicago, no one does that. You just put down 25%, 30, whatever it is, fixed rate. And like people think about owning for like 10 years here. It's true. So. I mean, very rarely am I seeing bridge debt unless yeah. it's a real value add, but it feels like in the smile state markets, everything was value add because yeah. it was restabilizing your rent roll value. Um, and we don't, we didn't see that here. So, um, I would say probably 5% or less of my deals had bridge debt on it. Yeah. I believe that where, I mean, it's just people, they have longer assumed hold periods here. They, uh, mm -hmm. it's much more conservative how they're setting up the deals for sure. Yeah. So nice. Well, yeah. Then I think, what do you think, I guess, what do you feel like the next couple years are going to look like? Um, what do you, if the owner says like, how do you think the rest of the year is going to go next year? What are you telling them? I mean, I think that, you know, we kind of went through 23. I think we're going to see consistent rent growth. Um, I think that, you know, to, to quote Sam Zell, right, survived till 95, but today is 25, you know, it's coined term. So, I mean, I think that's probably, if I had to guess, where we would see, you know, maybe some softening of rates. So getting through 23, getting through 24, you know, with the higher interest rate environment, and um, hopefully we'll see some relief down the road. But um, I think as long as the, the job market stays strong, I think that I have less concerns about what's happening. Um, I think we'll con you know, continue to see demand on, on rental on apartments. Uh, I think that, like we had talked about just you know a little while ago, is that construction is going to be tough to pencil. So that is going to be supplying less units, putting better, uh, higher pressure on, or you know, upward pressure on rents on existing stuff. So I mean, I've, I underwrite land often. And it's just become more and more challenging to, to get it to work. So um, I think that you know, operating costs are going to continue to increase. So we got to keep an eye on that. And I think a lot of owners are going to focus on their operations, you know, making sure that they're staying up with market rents, making sure that they're trying to figure out how to run buildings as efficiently as possible. And you know, what will be interesting in a couple, you know, two years is we're going to have the reassessment again in the same market. So depending on where values are at that time, you know, it'll be interesting to see where the assessor ends up you know, reassessing a lot of the assets. And yeah. Interest rates are right. No, that, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah, like the operations of property are really important. And I think a lot of people, they just kind of like forgot about that in this bull run, like everything's going up, yep. rents are jumping, cap rates are dropping. You didn't need to operate your deal. Well, you just needed to rent a couple units for a good number and you get your value. Um, the as well just go out by the next one. Yeah. You know, so like now it's sort of the opposite of that where, actually being able to run the deals well is, is important. So, mm -hmm. and focusing on the details, are you, how are you looking at underwriting your assets over the next few years? Are you looking at, are you watching vacancy as well? Are you, you know, do you stress test against higher vacancy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what we've been, I guess our sort of outlook, let's say kind of the two places we've been buying, you know, here in Chicago and then in Phoenix, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think Phoenix, all those deals, thankfully we had fixed rate debt on all but one. Uh, and those are all, those were at three and a half percent interest or four and a quarter. So all those deals are cash flow positive, you know, so they're fine. Um, but we're, you know, and same thing in Chicago, everything's fixed rate debt and, you know, full. And mm -hmm. so we, we're not having really any stress except on the one deal we did floating rate and it's a renovation deal. You know, that one we have set up where we can add more money from our investor if we need. And so we'll be fine on that. Um, but yeah, and stuff we're looking at now, I guess we're not, um, I guess what we're focused on is finding like just something that makes sense like today, 
at like the right price and the rents aren't above mm-hmm. market and um, where we're not taking on too much risk with moving pieces, you know? So that's how we're sort of like, I guess in a way, stress testing it and de-risking what we're looking at where I wouldn't want to take on like a complicated renovation deal we need to do with floating rate debt now. There's just too many moving pieces where you could do all that work and construction costs, interest rates, they're all still going up right now. So everything's kind of moving against you. Uh, if rents continue to slide, like then you're renovating and then what re-renting it for like the same rent as before. So yeah, we're trying to buy things where it's more just like a clear cut, nicer deal. Hey, the price is down 25% or something makes sense to buy now. Maybe we can assume the owner's loan. You know, you did a bunch of those a couple years ago. And then in Chicago, like I think that, um, like this would be a good year to buy for all the reasons you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I think next year will be a good year to buy as well. Um, you know, you have rents still increasing and that's, you know, like the saving grace, so to speak with higher rates. And I think too, with the whole Silicon Valley bank and signature bank thing with them, uh, going under now like that, um, you know, the fed, they're raising rates and they're willing to take like on some like economic pain, uh, with people losing their jobs Mm -hmm. and the real estate market being impacted. But you know, that, that could be the, uh, and it's just a guess, like it could be, it's not a guess. It's just, it could be like a reason for them to, um, reduce rate hikes. Like they've already, like the reason that, um, at least, you know, Silicon Valley bank went under is really like it started with them buying treasuries. I mean, there was a lot of talk about the, um, the, the venture debt they did and all this stuff. But Mm -hmm. what, what set this all off is they bought treasuries that were further out there in uh in duration uh they needed to sell some at a loss to get money together to not have like a bigger downgrade than they were gonna get and their clients figured this out and 42 billion dollars of money got pulled out on thursday on the thursday before they went under so like no bank's gonna withstand that um so you you might have a you know a lot of banks that are in that kind of situation or other you know you had that british pension fund um where they had the same problem in october Mm -hmm. where they had you know, like bonds had the worst year ever, uh, like I think trailing 12 months till now since like the Great Depression. Like, so at what point are they like, we can't push this anymore? So I think maybe that's going to make, um, you know, them hike less or cut sooner, mm-hmm. depending on what happens from here. Um, and I think I, I actually I think the what you're saying makes sense from a timing standpoint where things will really turn in 2025. But that means to me, like you would have wanted to buy sooner than that. If you're a buyer, like when, so I think you're kind of, your will depend on the market. And I think that's going to be driven by the rent growth in the market where if, if Chicago is not going to pull back on rents, like then this, this whole time is a good time to buy right. in the South where we're looking, you know, we still see rents dropping in Phoenix. Uh, we started looking in Dallas and in Austin, as well. And there we haven't seen rents drop as much. Um, there you have other issues where the property taxes and insurance are growing a lot. Yeah. So you need to have solid rent growth to offset that. Mm -hmm. So I think you, um, you know, to me, the time to buy is when you see that you're like kind of on the forefront of that turning, like Mm -hmm. with us, like with rent growth and, uh, turning from being flat or negative to positive. And that's, what's nice about actually owning deals where, so we have those five deals in Phoenix. We'll know right away when rents are increasing. And then to me, that's going to be the time to really like, like start really pushing to buy again. Yeah. Years, it, turns, it turns fast. Yeah. And then probably by then that's when the interest rates will have peaked. You know, mm-hmm. let's say if rents turn positive in six months, 12 months, 18 months, whatever it is, maybe that also kind of 
is right around the time where like the highest interest rates are in. So then you buy your deal with a high interest rate uh, to start in, or you assume someone's loan and buy at a higher cap rate because of where the market's at. And then you're growing your rents right away. Mm-hmm. Then you refi in a couple of years, like that deal's gonna do really well. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's that's the time to buy um, in the Sun Belt's not here yet, but it could be here when it turns, it'd be quicker than people realize. Yeah, it's interesting. So I do a little uh, analysis on interest rates. And if you're buying something in the mid sixes and your rates at six, uh, your yield is pretty low, right? Yeah. Single digit, mid single digit. And if you refinanced it at some point in the future in the 4% rate, you're in quickly in double digits without growing the rents. Wow. So yeah, it, nice. moves, it moves pretty quickly. Nice. Yeah, I didn't think it would jump that much. That's interesting. Yep. So nice. Yeah, so I think that's that's kind of where I see things going. I think is that mostly everything you think we should touch on for the markets, or what do you um, what else are you see in? Um, yeah, I think so. I think we kind of went through. Okay, nice. Well, yeah, I think then maybe let's switch gears to then just some like um, just brokerage stuff. Okay. So like, what do you um, just generally for let's say new brokers? I know we touched on it for like a second, but um, what sort of advice would you have for them? I mean, especially considering where we're at today in the market. Yeah, I think it's important to educate yourself and surround your, yourself with people who've been through cycles and have perspective on this. Um, I, I try to read as much as possible to get a lot of different opinions, You know, try to form my own opinions. But I think educate yourself on what's going on in the market. The most recent, obviously, is the Silicon Valley Bank you know, discussion, understanding you know, the basics of what's happening. Um, so I think it's important. That part's important. Uh, the other thing is just these times come and go. Right, making it through tough times to be able to uh, you know experience the good times is, is so important, and having a good mentor and, and people around you that remain positive and active is is critical. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I mean it's tough where yeah, it's not a salary job, so then you gotta you know start thinking you know people starts creeping in like okay when will be the next time I get paid? Mm-hmm. I mean how do people deal with that? In, I mean, I think you just need a support person around you, uh, whether it's a friend or family member or spouse or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it might be, uh, a positive influence because there's a lot of, in tough times, there's a lot of negativity yeah. around and it's like nothing's happening or you know, you've maybe thought you're not going to make it. So having that support structure is, is critical. Yeah, that's, think, gr- yeah. that's great advice. I mean, I even have that, I mean, that creeps into owners as well. I mean, people, you know, they ask me, what do I do all day now? I haven't bought it. I haven't put a deal under contract in like a year, yeah. but I mean, I still own like 30 billions. I'm still busy with doing stuff and we're looking at new deals, but it's funny where, um, yeah, even that creeps in from people like in my life or, um, you know, they wonder, what do you, what do you guys like do all day? Like you're not buying anything or you're just hanging out. Yeah. You can't stay stagnant. You always have to find somewhere to improve and become better. Yeah. You know, or else you'd be left behind. Yeah. So no, I think that support system, that's really good advice. And I know you had that from your, your parents and your girlfriend at the time when you were coming up and that was end up being really critical. Absolutely. So nice. And is there anything that you'd say like today, this has been a question I've been trying to ask more, uh, like that you would think about differently than you did maybe like when you started your career or I, I would say that and it's easier to say it later, but focusing on probable list in my world, it would be listings, you know, focusing on probable, um, assets as opposed to projects. So, you know, assessing motivation and making sure there's alignment between value of your thoughts and the owner's thoughts 
and not just spinning your wheels because time's can, the only thing that we really have in, in brokerage. And if you waste a lot of it, you can find yourself in a tougher situation. So um, I think that you know, focusing on probability versus projects is one of the most important things. And what do you mean by projects? Pro so projects would be something where there's not going to be a paycheck at the end. You're working on it and there's no end result. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's what you meant. But also just too like there's it's really what do you feel about uh, like new brokers taking on overpriced listings, let's say? That's pretty. That's where you can find yourself in a project and not you know paycheck and you're not going to get to the end result of either party. So uh, neither one's going to, but that's, that's going to be the biggest thing, focusing on an asset that's going to sell, it's priced within the market, and you have, a, again, that alignment between you and the owner. Yeah. What do, you, do you think, though, like taking on an overpriced listing would be a good way to meet potential clients, or what do you think about that? You know, there is a positive to that, too, where you're going to, it's a, a reason to be in touch with people and, and maybe at least to something else. So that's the tricky part of always weighing it. I uh, also don't want to have the perspective, you know, people perceive you as being somebody who only takes overpriced listings as well. So there's a fine line you got to, you have to walk. Yeah. What's interesting too, I was curious to hear your answer on that is I feel like that strategy in residential brokerage, so selling like houses, I think that there's a lot of merit to that. You're going to have an open house, you're going to meet neighbors, there's going to be activity from that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like in, in, in investment real estate, like if you send an overpriced deal out, the buyers will look at it and go, it's overpriced. I don't want to look, I don't want to go to it. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that activity. Uh, whereas within residential, I mean, if they like the house, they're going to probably show up even if they feel like it's overpriced or at least check it out. Right. You're going to have open houses where you're going to meet people. So I think that works fine uh, for those kind of brokers. I mean, especially if you're new, you just, you need any kind of client you can get. Maybe the neighbor wants to rent a place and you can mm -hmm. get even just a rental out of it. But um yeah, like on this, like if someone sends me a deal and the price makes no sense, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to it. I wouldn't underwrite. I wouldn't do anything. Yeah. You want so. credible underwriting, credible pricing. Yeah. Or it's just like the time, like you see it, I know I'm not going to buy it anywhere mm -hmm. close to this and then you don't spend any time on it. So, and then the broker spinning their wheels calling you, uh, or trying to get the property sold and it makes the uh, offering memo on it and spends all this time, mm -hmm. but they're not, it's, yeah, I feel like it's a lot harder to get the, like an investment buyer. To like engage in something overpriced than uh let's say as a regular residential buyer i agree so cool awesome well yeah thanks for being on kyle great job thank you appreciate it it's always a pleasure getting to catch up and talk with you yeah definitely so then how would listeners get in touch with you they want to reach out sure so i'm at marcus and miller chaps so um i have an office number 312-327-5455 or my email which is kyle.stengel at marcusmillichap.com awesome yeah great job thank thanks you for being on appreciate it Appreciate it. If you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, Brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. 
The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.